Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I'm Kathy with a C. And I'm Kathy with a K. Here's to season three of Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Lucen, Utah. Lucen is a community in northwest Utah located in Box Elder County. It is 50 miles west of the Great Salt Lake and is seven miles from the Nevada border. Lucen is in a desert valley about 4,400 feet above sea level and surrounded by mountains off in the distance. The area was founded in the 1860s, about 10 miles north of its current location, to provide a water stop for railroads to replenish their steam locomotives during the construction of the first transcontinental railroad. Lucen was then moved to serve a new railway, which was completed in 1904. Lucen's most famous resident is Ivo Zdarsky, who, in the 1980s, made a dramatic and notorious escape from his communist homeland. On August 4, 1984, at 4 a.m., Ivo fled from East Germany by flying into Vienna, Austria, in what looked like a go-kart on three wheels that was powered by a car motor and had collapsible glider wings. It flew at an elevation of 700 feet, avoiding aviation radar systems. After landing on a runway at the Vienna International Airport, Evo showed security an outdated Czechoslovakian passport and requested political asylum. He was the first person to successfully escape from the communist Eastern Bloc in a homemade airplane. He then settled in America and in 2007 moved to Lucen. By the 1990s, the community of Lucen reportedly had only four residents, but if you look today, the official count is one. Things have not changed much in the decades since. However, in 2022, one young man's quest for a solitary life of farming in Lucen ironically drew the attention of the entire world when he vanished into thin air. From a very young age, avid outdoorsman Dylan Rounds wanted nothing more than to own a piece of property and farm the land. He wanted to live where tracts of homes were not going to eventually be built up around his property. His mother always said that he was born in the wrong generation and was always, at heart, an American farmer. No stranger to hard work, he learned by doing. Dylan lived an active outdoor life. He grew up in eastern Idaho and shared time between both of his parents after they divorced when Dylan was very young. He also had paternal grandparents whom he was very close to and often spent time with. Dylan knew he couldn't afford land in Idaho and someone he knew recommended looking in Utah. He wanted cheap land because he wanted to be his own boss and Lucen was where he could afford to start. In 2019, Dylan's paternal grandpa helped him buy land while Dylan was still in high school. And Kath, I read somewhere that Dylan and his grandfather purchased 640 acres. In fact, when COVID happened during Dylan's senior year, school was not in session and he was able to spend his first real chunk of time on the farm. 
According to Dylan's mother, Dylan obtained farm equipment by wheeling and dealing. He was a hard worker and after high school graduation, saved money by working odd jobs. Dylan went to his farm during the summer months to set up equipment, obtain water rights, prepare the soil, and establish a working irrigation system in the lowlands of the Great Salt Lake Desert. According to his mother, it was his ambition to eventually farm the whole valley. On Saturday, May 28, 2022, Memorial Day weekend, 19-year-old Dylan Rounds was on the phone with his grandmother Karen just before 7 a.m. After chatting briefly, Dylan told her that it started raining. He said he had to go because there were seeds in his grain truck that he was going to plant and he needed to get the truck into the shed so the seeds did not get wet. This was Dylan's third season working the farm in Lucen, and it was going to be his first harvest. He told his grandmother that he would call her back. When Dylan did not call his grandmother back and she could not get in touch with him, the next day she reached out to Don Hatley, a friend of Dylan's grandfather's, and asked him to check on Dylan. Don was retired and occasionally worked for Dylan on the farm to earn money. Although Don had a falling out with Dylan about six weeks prior, Don agreed to check on him. Don then called Jim Brenner, a man who had also worked for Dylan in the past and was squatting on land near Dylan's farm in Lucen. The two men went to check on Dylan and reported to his grandmother, Karen, that they went to his property where he kept his camper. His red pickup truck was there, but he was not. And Kath, from what I saw, it looked like his camper was a fifth wheel. I agree with you. And it looks like a pretty decent sized fifth wheel. Absolutely. The pickup truck was locked so the men couldn't get inside and they had no idea if he had taken his guns with him. Grandma Karen did not tell Dylan's mother and father about her concerns, but on Monday, so this is two days after Dylan last spoke with his grandma, Dylan's mom, Candace Cooley, received a call from one of Dylan's good friends. He asked Candace if she had spoken to Dylan's grandmother recently. Candace said no, and Dylan's friend told her that Don Hatley and Jim Brenner had been looking for Dylan, but were unable to find him. Dylan had not been in touch with anyone since his phone call with his grandmother on Saturday morning. Candace immediately called Dylan's father, Justin Rounds. Justin and his daughter were coming back from Las Vegas when Candace called them. She asked if they had heard from Dylan. Justin said no, that he had last spoken with his son Thursday, discussing tractors and what he was going to be doing that weekend. When the service got bad, the call ended. Thursday was also the last day Candace had spoken with Dylan when he was telling his mother that he was excited for the upcoming harvest. It had taken approximately two years to get the soil and water system ready. Although Dylan only worked on the farm during the warmer months and did not live there full time, it was not unusual for his parents to go a few days without hearing from him. But it was unusual for Dylan to go days without communicating with anyone. He was typically in touch with someone on a daily basis. His family immediately knew something was wrong. Dylan's parents and some immediate family members left right away for Lucen. Dylan's parents figured that maybe he was lying somewhere in the middle of the desert with a broken leg or a snake bite. Lucen is so remote that it is perfectly conceivable that days could go by before Dylan saw anyone. 
As we get into the story, there are two primary locations that we're going to be talking about. The first is the piece of land where Dylan used a shed as a workshop and a place to park his grain truck. And when I say shed, this isn't something in your backyard in Southern California that you keep your lawnmower in. This is like a 30 by 40 foot steel shed with really high ceilings. I kind of thought of it as more like a barn, but made of steel instead of wood. That's exactly what it looked like to me. The shed was not on Dylan's property, the property that he bought with his grandfather, but he did have permission from the owner of the property to use the shed. This was also the piece of land that Jim Brenner was squatting on. And Kath, I read that it was not unusual for squatters to be in this massive desert area. And I used to live in Lake Tahoe. And there were times when for work, I would go through Utah, up to Idaho, across to Wyoming, what have you. And it is desolate. Starting in Nevada, you get into eastern Nevada. Although if you're ever in Elko County, go to the Star Restaurant. It's Basque food and it's amazing. (laughs) And no, we're not paid for that ad, but it doesn't surprise me because this is hard land. Like this is not a place where people go to live an easy life. One of the things that Dylan's mom said is that there are three types of people out there. She said there are farmers, meth heads, and squatters. But still... And those could all be the same person. (laughs) (laughs) But still, there are so few people out there. Right. And it's really true. As you drive through there, you will go miles and miles and miles without seeing anything. What the scene looked like to me when I looked online, imagine you're in the middle of a very scrubby desert and there's an intersection of dirt roads. Yeah. That's literally what it looked like. That's exactly it. There also wasn't any police nearby. The closest law enforcement was the Box Elder County Sheriff's Office, and that was about two and a half hours away. The second location of the story is Dylan's land where he kept his pickup truck and camper where he stayed when he was farming. This land was about five miles from the shed property. As we said, Dylan did not live there year round. In fact, the month prior to the phone call with his grandma, He had actually been farming somewhere else in order to make money to pay for this farming venture of his own in Lucen. It was this five-mile stretch from the shed to the camper that Dylan's parents were concerned about. They believed he had driven his grain truck to the shed on the morning he spoke with his grandmother, put his grain truck in the shed, and then walked the five miles back to his camper on this dirt road. That is where his parents believed something happened to him. And Dylan was used to doing a lot of walking, And it would have been something he could have easily done. And they were trying to figure out just what had happened that prevented Dylan from returning to his farm. His parents, Justin and Candace, believed that they were maybe going to have a trip to the hospital and then bring Dylan home to recuperate. However, it turned out it was not that simple. Dylan's mother, Candace, placed a call to the Box Elder County Sheriff's Department and reported that her 19-year-old son was missing. Box Elder County Search and Rescue were dispatched and arrived at the property where the shed was located between 4 and 5 in the afternoon. Now, this calf was Monday, two days after he had spoken with his grandmother. The family arrived before the sheriff's deputies, and they saw that Dylan's grain truck had, in fact, been parked inside the shed just like he told his grandmother he was going to do. According to Dylan's parents, the shed property was the last location at which Dylan's phone last pinged to a cell tower. In an interview with Nate Eaton of East Idaho News, Candace said that she was shown the phone ping by a sheriff's deputy, 
but was told that the ping encompassed a 15-mile radius. That covered a lot of barren land, and her son could be anywhere. Search and rescue got to work, and within an hour and a half made a chilling discovery. A few hundred yards from where the shed and Dylan's grain truck were located, deputies found Dylan's boots tossed behind a pile of dirt. However, there was no sign of Dylan, his wallet, or his phone. Now, Kath, according to both parents, Dylan would have never left his boots in the desert. And one of the things his mom said about him was that he was a total creature of habit. And since the age of three, he had the same pair of boots. No way. Yeah. He would just grow out of them, get a new pair, overuse them, get a new pair. But she was constantly buying him the same brand, the same color of boots. That Monday, when the boots were found, deputies took the boots as potential evidence. Deputies began wondering if Dylan could have possibly attempted suicide, basically just walked out into the desert. They questioned his parents about his mental health, whether he could have gone off somewhere with somebody, or whether he would have just taken time away from the farm. Both parents adamantly said no. He loved farming, it was his passion, and he would have never left voluntarily. And Kath, this story came on my radar probably two weeks after he went missing. I saw an interview with his mom, and I was so taken by it. He reminded me of the kid in Where the Red Fern Grows. Did you ever read that book? I did. Okay, I loved that book. Agreed. I only read it as an adult. I read it to my kids when they were little. Oh, really? Yeah. I think I read it in fifth grade. It wound up being my second son's favorite book for years. Oh, wow. But the kid in the story, and it's for those of you who don't know, it's about a little boy who wants to get coon hounds for hunting. And all of these things that he goes through to get these dogs that he loves, it just sort of takes you through his character. That's who Dylan reminded me of, the way his mother would say he wasn't born in this generation. He didn't know how to play video games. He just wanted to be outside. He just reminded me so much of the character in the book. And his dad was the same way, just the way they talked about their son. He just seemed like such a unique kid. If you're like Kathy and I, and you enjoy a nice glass of wine, but you're not a connoisseur, let Dracaena Wines be your guide. Dracaena is the creation of Lori and Michael, a husband and wife team who both have science backgrounds. Michael is a food chemist and Lori was a microbiologist. So these two nerds did the hard work for us. (laughs) And we mean that in the most complimentary way. Most complimentary way. (laughs) My husband and I actually met Lori in Paso Robles. She was phenomenal and introduced me to her Cabernet Franc, which is to die for. They actually specialize in Cabernet Franc, Rosé, and Chenin Blanc. And for the last 10 years, every vintage of their wines has received a 90-plus rating from wine enthusiasts. That's no surprise. It's so good. The name Dracaena is the genus name of the Draco tree, and Draco was the name of their beloved Weimariner. So all you dog lovers out there got to buy their wine. <laughs> because they donate to dog charities. And you will get 10% off if you use the code KILLER. And they have a wine club that's called the Chalk Club which I love. That's named after their dog named Vegas. Right. Their second Weimariner. Exactly. And that's because in Vegas, if you're betting chalk, you are betting on all the favorites. And they are taking the gamble that once you taste their wine, like Kathy with a C did, they will become one of your favorites. 
Not only are their wines delicious, they're reasonably priced. So to make a purchase, go to DracenaWines.com, D-R-A-C-A-E-N-A Wines.com. And on this site, there's a link to their weekly podcast and weekly blog posts, and you'll also find links to all of their socials. When the boots were found, Dylan's mother had a memory of a conversation she had had with her son three days before Dylan's grandma last spoke with him. Dylan said, Mom, you're never going to believe this. Then he told her that he was driving down the road when a drugged out guy came out of the desert who was bloody and had no shoes on. He wanted Dylan to give him a ride and let him charge his phone. Dylan told his mom that he did not give the guy a ride. But now that Candace was thinking back on this, she wondered if this was some type of revenge thing with Dylan's boots being somehow symbolic. Candace told the sheriff about the guy and the family was desperate to find out who he was. On Monday, this is the same day the boots were found, the family went to Dylan's camper. They looked around inside and everything seemed normal, but there were hot dogs on the counter that had obviously been left out for days. But other than that, it appeared to the family that nothing else was out of place. The family knew that Dylan owned a shotgun and a pistol and started looking through the camper for them. Neither of them were located. The shotgun was later found to be at a friend's place, but the pistol was never found. Dylan's gun safe was kept in the camper's bathroom, and when Dylan's parents went to look, it was empty. Dylan's red pickup truck was also parked near his camper and was locked, which was unusual. He never locked his truck. His parents could not find the key fob anywhere in the camper. So Dylan's father asked the sheriff if he could break into the back window and was told, it's your truck and you can do what you like. I don't know if this means his father owned the truck and had given it to Dylan. Do you know, Kath? I have no idea. It might have just been, this belongs to your family. Yeah, I really don't know. So Justin broke out the back window of the truck to get inside. And basically, they were just looking to see if Dylan's guns were inside or if there were any clues in there that might lead them to where he could be. Unfortunately, they didn't find anything. On this same day, Box Elder County Sheriff's deputies did not declare the farm or shed property a crime scene. In hindsight, Kath, Dylan's parents were very critical of this fact. You're right, Kath, they were. I watched a ton of videos and there were two people primarily who I thought did the best job with their interviews of the parents. The first was Nate Eaton, who is a journalist with East Idaho News. And the second is Dave Sparks of the Diesel Brothers. And he has a YouTube channel called Heavy D Sparks, which has a gabillion followers. Dave Sparks actually does rescues and did lend a hand looking for Dylan. So anyway, those are the two I think had the best videos and got most of the information from them because they were directly interviewing the parents. So Search and Rescue found the boots on Monday and they returned to the shed property on Tuesday where they looked around for about six hours. At this point, sheriff's deputies were already posted at the shed property because that was where Dylan's phone last pinged. Because Jim Brenner, and this is the squatter we had talked about who also worked for Dylan from time to time, was irritated by their presence, the sheriff said they needed to relocate. According to Candace and Justin, search and rescue left on Tuesday but never returned. But before deputies left on Tuesday, something very strange happened. The parents received a phone call that Dylan was being held hostage in Montella, Nevada. That's in Elko County, Nevada, and has about 250 residents, and it's about 27 miles east of Lucen. 
the caller gave Dylan's parents an actual address where the caller said Dylan could be found. Candace told the Box Elder County Sheriff's deputies that were on the search and rescue team about the call that she had just received. According to Candace and Justin, one of them said, good luck with that. Justin asked Box Elder County Sheriff's deputies to call Elko County Sheriff's and let them know what was happening. Justin told them he was going to handle the situation himself if deputies from Elko did not show up. When Candace and Justin arrived at the property, there were no police there. Candace then called 911 and Elko sent six deputies to the house where the kidnapper said Dylan was being held captive. Elko had no idea who Candace was or who Dylan was or that he was missing. According to Dylan's parents, Box Elder County Sheriff deputies never made the call to Elko. Unfortunately, Dylan was not at the house. The next day, Wednesday, this is four days out from Grandma's phone call with Dylan, a family member and one of Dylan's friends returns to his camper. In the camper, they find his key fob sitting out in the open in plain sight. They didn't realize it was missing, and when they told his parents they had it, they were shocked at its surface. And here's the funny thing, Kath. I believe it was left on the bathroom counter, and the bathroom had been cleaned the day prior by Dylan's aunt so that Grandma Karen can use the bathroom. Oh my God, that's hysterical. (laughs) I know. That totally reminded me when I was like dropping off my oldest at college. I had all of these bathroom cleaning products and I opened the bathroom cabinet and all the other moms had put cleaning products in there too. And I'm sure they were not used in an entire year. When you packed them up at the end of the year, did you all get that stuff back? (laughs) They still had the plastic on the seal. (laughs) Anyway, so somebody had to have put the key fob back in the camper after the family left the day before. The very next day, Thursday, Dylan's pistol reappears in his camper, laying out in the open with the clip out. Both items were given to the sheriffs and ultimately had no fingerprints on them. Someone had been returning items. Kath, why are so many dogs now suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, said she's seeing more issues with joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is actually the way many dog foods are made can create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many of the premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw a huge transformation in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. And Kath, as you know, we have a schnauzer named Ollie, and even though my husband insists he is not, he is overly flatulent. After I started giving him this food, I swear there was a reduction in his smell. I love that. And I'll come over to your house now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, and you know, we have a Vishla we call Orange, and she's a senior dog. And over the last couple of weeks, she has actually had more energy to be running around the backyard with the younger dog, the Doberman we call Brown. Or crazy. A little bit. (laughs) So if you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to BadlandsFood.com slash Killer D and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash Killer D. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply to Dylan's camper when the family wasn't there. Still, the location was not declared a crime scene, and the police told the family it was okay to have members of the public help search. Dylan's family made flyers and publicized their plight on Facebook. After looking at Dylan's credit cards, they realized he had been to Montello, Nevada on Thursday night, two days before his conversation with Grandma Karen. People in Montello were interviewed, and the general vibe that Dylan's family got was that nobody wanted to talk. However, after flyers went up asking for information about a bloodied and shoeless man who Dylan may have had contact with, Montello residents identified a local man named Chase Venstra. Some locals blamed him for Dylan's disappearance, but Kath, there was also the thought maybe they were just trying to collect the initial reward, which at that point had reached $20,000. I read the same thing. Justin's parents told the Box Elder County Sheriff that they found out the identity of the shoeless man. When Chase realized he was being accused of involvement in Dylan's disappearance, he reached out personally to Candace. Chase insisted that Dylan had actually given him a ride home. According to Candace, she wanted detectives to interview Chase and told them that Chase wanted to speak with them as well. She was told by a deputy, oh, we know, he's been trying to get a hold of us all day. And again, like you had said, the family kind of felt helpless because they realized if they wanted to find Dylan, they had to do the legwork. So they started a very public campaign requesting help. At some point early on, a caver named Dana got in touch with Candace and told her about the weather on the weekend that Dylan went missing. She said there was a light rain around 530 to 6 Saturday morning. And by the way, Grandma's conversation was 6.51 on Saturday morning. Dana said the light rain tapered off and then it started getting windy and raining harder later in the afternoon and it also rained hard all day Sunday. The family didn't realize it for the first couple days, but they eventually came to recognize that Dylan's truck had been pressure washed. Inside the wheel well of his pickup truck, it was caked with dirt as though he had been off-roading but there was no dirt on the outside. They believe that someone drove it somewhere, parked it back on the property, and then cleaned it up. Six days after getting into town to search, so this is Sunday, Candace got into Dylan's truck. She intended to drive it back to where they were staying so Dylan's friend could drive it home. When she got in, she was shocked to find she didn't have to move the seat forward. She's 4'11", and Dylan's 5'11". 
She said she's never gotten into his truck without having to adjust the seat. And Kath, one thing I thought that was kind of like cute and kind of funny is that in Candace's very first interviews with journalist Nate Eaton, she's sitting in a chair and she's like a little kid, like her feet are dangling off the ground. They're not even like touching the ground. (laughs) They weren't. And she was totally darling. Anyway, what she was thinking was that maybe this was an automatic setting. So she turned the car on and off and realized that it was not an automatic setting, that somebody had actually moved the seat to that location. Doesn't that suggest to you it was a female? That's the first thing I thought. But nothing in this indicates in any way that Dylan was dating anyone. Okay. And the parents were asked that a number of times and they said, no, nobody. Candace also noticed that the truck was in four-wheel drive mode. But the four-wheel drive hadn't been working for quite some time, so whoever had driven the truck didn't know that. It made no sense that if Dylan had last driven his truck, it would have been in four-wheel drive. By this time, searchers were looking everywhere, including washes that were all over the place in the Desert Valley. According to Candace, some years back, a dam broke, creating a wash that was massively wide and deep. Searchers noticed what appeared to be a single pair of pickup truck tire marks in the wash, and at various points, these tire tracks appeared to fishtail, meaning the truck did not have four-wheel drive. Justin and Candace asked law enforcement to help them identify the tire marks or match them to Dylan's truck, but it appears not to have ever been done. So the family was trying to work with a tire expert in Louisiana to get that done. Now, regarding Dylan's grain truck, Remember, he was going to put it in the grain shed so the seeds in the back wouldn't get wet. His parents noticed that the truck had been put in the shed and there were deep ruts in the ground because of the heavy rain. But when Dylan was talking to his grandma and based on what Dana the caver said, it had just started to lightly rain at that point. Yes, the grain truck was heavy, but the desert dirt was still hard and packed. It would not have made deep ruts in the dirt so soon. And Kath, when I was watching one of the videos and Dylan's mom was showing with her hands how deep these ruts were, Mm -hmm. they honestly looked to be about six to eight inches deep. All of their concerns were shared with Box Elder County Sheriff's deputies and the family publicly pleaded for other law enforcement agencies to get involved. Two weeks after Dylan's disappearance, Candace's cousin activated a new phone using Dylan's number. They used it to hack into his social media accounts where they looked at his Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat, as well as internet searches. They saw nothing out of the ordinary. They didn't see any signs that he had a secret girlfriend, and all of the pictures he had taken were of his farm. Nothing appeared to be suspicious. Hey, who needs to learn to drive? Seriously, who needs to learn to drive? (laughs) Or which friend of yours needs to learn to drive so they'll stop using you as their personal rideshare service. But without the tips. (laughs) (laughs) If you live in the Southern California counties of Los Angeles and Orange, Premium Driving School can help. Their certified instructors will help you pass your permit test, learn how to drive and get your license. And you'll be learning in a late model Mini Cooper. So that's fun. That's the best part. Premium Driving School offers a number of packages, including behind-the-wheel driving lesson packages for teens and adults, and refresher driving skills lessons for mature and senior drivers. Maybe I should have Dick and Laura go there. (laughs) (laughs) Those are Kathy's parents, and I think you're actually right. (laughs) They could use it. (laughs) 
Lessons are available seven days a week and are based on each person's individual skill and ability level. Premium Driving School is here to help you learn how to drive and become a confident and safe driver. And it has a five-star Google rating. For more information, go to their website, learntodrivetoday.com. Learn, the number two, drivetoday.com. And with the code KILLERD, they'll give you a 10% discount on your lessons. In the early stages, law enforcement asked the family about Don Hatley and Jim Brenner, the two men who live close enough to check on Dylan for his grandma. Don Hatley and Dylan had a falling out six weeks prior. Candace, it turns out, had given Dylan a washing machine, and when Dylan was fixing it, Don got annoyed with him and thought they should have been working on something else. Kath, I can only assume they were at the farm working, but I'm honestly not positive. They got into an argument, and I believe Dylan was telling him, like, you can't tell me what to do, that kind of thing, and they parted ways. Don had been a friend of Dylan's grandpa, and the family was of the belief that it was just a stupid argument and meant nothing. Jim Brenner was not a friend of Dylan's family, although Dylan had worked with him previously. And what was interesting, Kath, was Justin, Dylan's dad, did not care for Jim and believed him to be jealous of his son. And so in one of these interviews, he told the story. He said a year prior, when Justin was at his shop, and I don't know what kind of shop it was, frankly, he was listening on his Ring Doorbell app to Jim and Don and one of his employees talking about his son, Dylan. And Jim had been saying something like, Dylan doesn't take good care of his pickup truck when I was his age, blah, 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 blah. And so Justin obviously didn't like the fact that they were talking about Dylan. And he told Dylan, Jim is not your friend. He told Dylan what happened. And Dylan just kind of blew it off like, oh, you know, that's Jim. He's a bit of a jackass or whatever. Law enforcement considered Chase, Jim and Don primary persons of interest. Now, Chase was actually arrested on an unrelated charge. I cannot remember for the life of me what it was. It might have had something to do with guns, but I just don't remember. But he was later determined to be in Nevada at the time of Dylan's disappearance. And he was identified on two videos. One was at seven in the morning. And I want to say he was coming out of a bar at seven in the morning. And the other one was like at a Kentucky Fried Chicken a short time later. After he got out of the bar at 7 a.m. Yeah, exactly. Had the munchies. But it was impossible for him to be in Lucent and have anything to do with Dylan's disappearance. He got lucky. Oh, very lucky. Here's the crazy thing about Jim Brenner. According to Dylan's family, Jim had an outstanding warrant and Box Elder County Sheriff's deputies could have arrested him on day one. He was squatting in a trailer near the grain shed Dylan had permission to use. And in order to get to the grain shed, a wire fence had to be unlocked. Now, remember when they found Dylan's truck, it was clearly parked inside the grain shed. But Jim told law enforcement he hadn't seen Dylan in at least a month. And one local had actually shared with police that Jim and Don were the only two people who had keys to that fence. On Thursday, June 2nd, this is three days after Dylan's family members arrived to search for him, five days after his last call with Grandma Karen, Candace and Justin watched Jim Brenner pull the grain truck out of the shed and clean the shed. Law enforcement was there watching and asked Jim what he was doing. Jim replied, spring cleaning, and deputies allowed him to continue what he was doing. Dylan's mom said that she saw Jim put four garbage bags into his truck, stuffed with things that he had pulled out of the shed, and drive away. 
the family still does not know where those garbage bags ended up. And Kath, one thing I think is important to point out, when they were looking for Dylan, they were kind of using this shed property, even though this was not Dylan's property. It was one of the locations they were asking volunteers to come to and help search with them. And so the family and searchers had this shed property in their sights during many of the searches. So my point is, it's not like they were there on the property watching him clean. They were there because they were posted up having people help them. Right. And noticed what he was doing. Correct. According to Dylan's parents, the next day, Jim Brenner and Don Hatley left for Wendover, Utah, and Box Elder County Sheriff's deputies interviewed Jim Brenner on June 7th, 2022, 10 days after Dylan went missing. The FBI were invited to assist in the case four days later, after enormous public pressure, and the FBI began processing Dylan's camper, grain truck, and pickup truck. Almost a week later, Box Elder County Sheriff's deputies executed a search of Jim Brenner's trailer and found ammunition, but no guns. It turns out that Jim was a felon and was not allowed to be in possession of guns. Kath, I think what happened, I think he had been convicted 30 years prior. Originally, he was charged with attempted murder, but it was pled down to something lesser, like he had been in some sort of shootout in another state. And I think from the time of his conviction 30 years prior up to Dylan's disappearance, he had two gun violations. What I believe also happened, I think he had pending charges in Utah or possibly Nevada. I can't remember. I looked at the court records, but for beating somebody up with a chair. So this guy had a violent past. A few days later, Don Hatley was interviewed by sheriff's deputies and the FBI. Don advised law enforcement that after Dylan went missing, and sometime after Jim was interviewed, Jim brought three black powder guns over to Don's residence and asked him to hold them for safekeeping. When Don asked why, Jim said he needed to do this for his own safety, and that the last time he had trouble with the law, they took everything from him and he didn't want things taken from him again. Don agreed to store the muzzle loaders for Jim, but then turned them over to Box Elder County Sheriff's deputies who booked them into evidence. Don was interviewed again on June 21st, 2022, so this is just a few days later, by the FBI. During this interview, Don admitted that Jim also brought him a 22 caliber rifle, which Don failed to mention to investigators the first time he met with them. Don said he didn't mention the rifle because the original owner owed him money and wanted to keep the rifle as payment for the debt. On that same day, Jim Brenner's trailer was again searched and a muzzle loader and ammunition were seized. He was once again a felon in possession of a firearm and ammunition and was arrested eight days later. By this time, Jim realized that he was a suspect in Dylan's disappearance and had an attorney. The family waited, hoping for an arrest related to Dylan's case. By now, the reward for information leading to an arrest in Dylan's case was $200,000. And Kathy, the YouTuber you mentioned, Dave Sparks, he actually doubled the family's donation of $100,000, which is what brought it to the $200,000, which is just amazing. But no arrests were made. That is until March 3rd, 2023, nine months after Dylan Rounds went missing. For the arrest, a probable cause affidavit was signed. According to the declarant, Deputies discovered a pair of boots belonging to Dylan 
one of the boots had a blood stain and DNA analysis confirmed it belonged to Dylan as well as Jim Brenner. The victim's phone records were also obtained, which showed movements on the day of Dylan's disappearance on a remote property in Lucen where the defendant was squatting. Phone data showed that the last signal from the victim's phone was at the Lucen pond, and a search of the pond led to the discovery of the victim's phone. A digital forensic download of the phone was conducted and led to the discovery of a time-lapse video with a timestamp taken at the time of Dylan's disappearance. The video showed Jim Brenner with bloodstains on his arms and shirt as he is cleaning a gun. The shirt which Jim Brenner was wearing in the video was analyzed and Dylan's DNA was found on the shirt. Brenner was interviewed and made several claims that corroborated forensic evidence in addition to making numerous demonstrably false statements. The probable cause affidavit pointed out that despite a thorough investigation and extensive search, Dylan's body was not recovered due to Brenner removing it and concealing it. 59-year-old Jim Brenner was charged with aggravated murder and abuse or desecration of a human body, along with some firearms charges. He was denied bail and is being held in Weber County Jail in Utah. His next court appearance is scheduled to take place in October. We now know from Candace and Justin that the phone was found at the bottom of the Lucent Pond on June 18th just three weeks after Dylan went missing. And Kath, one of the things that everybody was talking about when this came to light was, how did this phone record? And Dylan's mom basically said that she kept iPhone 8s because she would give Dylan her old iPhones. And what she said was that she took a locked iPhone and she said, with one swipe, the camera app can be activated and record. So what Candace and Justin think is that Jim grabbed Dylan's phone and somehow accidentally activated it to record. And I can't imagine how they must feel as far as how fortunate the situation is. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's so crazy. It's so lucky. Kath, that reminds me of the Delphi murder suspects. Remember those two little girls on the train track who managed to record the man who killed them? Yes, definitely. And one of the things that Dylan's parents said was that they knew more than they were allowed to reveal. And they knew that law enforcement said Dylan's phone was pinging at the grain shed initially. Then the phone, after Dylan went missing, moved to Dylan's camper on his farm property, then back to where Jim Brenner was squatting. The phone pinged for the last time at Lucent Pond. And during Brenner's interview, he actually placed himself at Lucent Pond when Dylan's phone last pinged. When asked what the possible motivation could be, Justin revealed that the very first day they went out there to search, Jim told him that Dylan had run his car into his horse fence or something like that. It was something silly. How do you have a horse fence if you're squatting? Honestly, I don't even know. 
Justin dismissed it, but he could tell that Jim was irritated at whatever had happened. But basically, they don't necessarily think that this was a premium. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply meditated murder. They definitely do not. It was really more just lack of emotional control, hot-headedness, that kind of thing. Correct. As we said, Dylan was anxious to get his seed into the shed so that it didn't get rained on. So who knows if he went up to that gate and was honking and impatient and got Jim angry. But both parents believe it was not premeditated. It was the heat of the moment. Dylan's family will never stop searching for his body. His parents have unveiled plans for hashtag Dylan's legacy. They intend to provide state-of-the-art drone technology to other families to help find their missing loved ones. Thank you for listening. I know that we've had a kind of automated response for the summer months. We haven't really talked a lot at the end, but two things we did want to mention. One of them is in an episode long, long time ago. I can't even remember what episode it was. Oh, it was a Kevin Cooper episode. We did a shout out to someone we know, Julianne. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And we saw her the other night and she said, oh, my God, I almost drive. She doesn't talk like a valley girl like I do. But (laughs) let me be clear. She's much more intelligent. But she said basically she almost drove into a center median when she heard our shout out. So... One more time, Julianne, this one's for you. Drive safely, Julianne. (laughs) Exactly. Let us know when you're going to be on the freeway. We'll stay home. Exactly. (laughs) We wanted to read one of the new reviews we've received over the last few weeks. To say thank you. Yes, very much so. The review says, Killer Destinations is the only crime podcast that gives facts and incorporates humor. The hosts have a great partnership that makes the podcast interesting to listen to when discussing the murders, but also fun when they share stories from their history together. Great Friendship and Murder podcast. Friendship and Murder. That's what we should have named our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Or Murder and Friendship. No, Friendship has to come first. And what's her name? This is from, it's capital E-S-P, lowercase I-T-E-L. So, (laughs) Espital. I don't know. (laughs) So, I'm not going to guess on how to pronounce that. Exactly. (laughs) But But thank thank you. you. Really quickly, I know we've said this before, but September 2023, we just last week celebrated the beginning of our third year if you can believe that of this podcast this is the month that we do launch patreon <gasps> that's so exciting kathy wasn't aware i'm of it sure people want to just like throw money at us <laughs> and we'd appreciate that very much <laughs> we would catch it in a hat <laughs> but we will keep you posted as soon as it does we will have three levels all of them with great fantastic things as part of the benefits of membership and we hope y'all will support us that way and thanks for listening